when you open scripture and, and you start learning about what it means to be a Jesus follower, to, to receive him as your Lord and Savior, and, uh, and to enter into that relationship, uh, we read that if you're in Christ, you're engaged to be married, okay? Uh, you're, in, in fact, you're, you're actually preparing for uh, a, a wedding, See, from the beginning of the Bible, God speaks of his relationship with his people in terms of a marriage. We see this all throughout scripture. Since the very beginning, even uh, in the Garden of Eden, uh, when God provided a wife for, for Adam, and, and then all of that did not work out how we had hoped it would. Uh, but ever since then, God has been at work to present a bride for his son, Jesus. And, and, and that bride is, is the church, the people of God. And, and it's been a long engagement, amen? Right? Like, we're like, okay, we get it. <laughs> when are you coming? But from our perspective, it's been a long engagement. But what we've seen, uh, and, and, and throughout the book of Revelation, what we're going to see in a couple chapters here is the wedding day is coming. The wedding day is coming. And so as we prepare for that wedding day, for the bridegroom, our savior, uh, Jesus, to come for us, as we prepare for that, there's two questions we uh, have to answer. And the first is, are we preparing ourselves for it? So are, are, are we preparing ourselves for it? In fact, uh, I've done a lot of premarital over the years and I've never, you know, sat a couple down and start unpacking premarital and, and, and I'll ask like, okay, so what, what are you guys thinking for your ceremony? I've never had a couple say, well, we have no idea, but we're just going to let it happen. We're just going to see what, what comes about, right? Like, no, they are like, this is what we want. This is what I want. This is what we want. This is what we're going to do, right? And this is how we're going to get there. So there is this preparation uh, immediately after you get engaged for this day, right? So, so we, as Jesus followers, have to go, what does it look like to prepare ourselves for that wedding day? The second question is, are we remaining faithful as we wait for him to come for us? See, Revelation uh, is a call to patient endurance. And, and as we wait for our bridegroom, our, our savior to come for us and ingrained in that patient endurance is faithfulness. Faithfulness. To wait for our savior, for, for that uh, bridegroom to wait is going to require that we refuse the advances of any other lover that may try to seduce us away from the bridegroom. And, and why this is so important is in Revelation chapter 17, we're presented with this seductress who doesn't want us to hold out for that holy bridegroom. She is portrayed as alluring, exciting, but what I love about Revelation is it tells us that's how she appears from an earthly perspective. Let me give you the heavenly perspective of what she really is. And so we're gonna unpack that today. And so in Revelation chapter 17, let's start with verse one. It says, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls came and said to me, 
Come and I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. Yeah, I read this, and I was like, this is a great week after Easter section of Scripture. This is a great Baptism Sunday uh, section of Scripture. And, you know, one of the realities that we see, and I want to remind us of, is we have this author, John, who is carried up in, in these visions, and he's given these pictures and, he, and, he, and he's doing his best to describe things that he's seen. And he doesn't even have the language to describe what he's seen. And so what he does is he draws back from symbols, from language, from images that the Old Testament prophets had seen and had described. And, and that was the language that was familiar with him. So he's using the same terminology, uh, the same symbols to convey what he's seeing. And he knew that his audience, that original audience, would be able to understand how that connects to the Old Testament prophets. It makes it very challenging, though, for us today, doesn't it? And so we tend to avoid it. But what, what is he talking about here? Well, once again, we see that John is told by one of the angels who had the seven bulls, he's told to come so that he may see the judgment of this great prostitute, it says, who sits on many waters. Now, in verse 15, it, it, we're told that, that the waters are the peoples of the world. In other words, uh, she is above all of uh, the peoples all across the planet. And this prostitute is said to lead the kings and the rulers of the world into this sexual immorality. Now, when you see this word sexual immorality here and what she's leading them into, what he's saying here spiritually is this is spiritual adultery and idolatry. So they'll use uh, that language, that imagery of like sexual immorality to portray this spiritual adultery and idolatry when it comes to remaining faithful to the bridegroom. Okay, so, so not only though do we see here that she seduces the leaders of the world, but those who live on the earth, it says, are drunk with the wine of her sexual immorality. Okay, now, man, that's a scary scene, a scary thought. So, so what does that mean for us? What does this look like? Well, well this is, these are all of the things right now in our culture, in our world, that are pulling at you, that are pulling you away from being faithful and being patiently and, and patient and enduring while you wait for the bridegroom. So when we think about right now, like, like we think of the desire for power, prestige, a title, a position, right? That is something that, that we can desire uh, to the point where the enemy uses that in our life to where we're no longer faithful to our Lord and Savior. 
We're completely caught off track in this grind, in this uh, achieving this arrival point in our lives. Uh, you think of possessions, right? The things we want to have, the things we think we deserve to have, or we're working towards acquiring, right? Man, that is a, a big one in all our culture. We want more, we want better, we want newer, and, and, and we're always comparing what we have, and we're actually motivated by that. Right? It's fascinating how quickly and how off guard we can become to the realities of this temptation of this pull in our lives. Um, my neighbor, he was backing in uh, his boat to wash it, and he was backing it, and, and it, was, it ended up just kind of being in front of our house. Now, I've wanted a boat for a long time. And, and so I walk outside, and I just look at him, and he yells at me, and he goes, Steve, you got to keep up with the Jones. Like, and essentially what he's saying is, you got to get one. So I walked right back into the house and said, honey, we need a boat. We're going to buy a boat. Now, thankfully, my wife controls the finances in our house. She quickly said, no, we don't. And we won't. And that was the end of that conversation. But, but how quickly... And, and if you have a boat, I'm not saying like, oh, what's wrong with you? Like, or you're bad. Like, like all, the, all these people are elbowing each other. Like, I have a boat. You have a boat. What are we going to do? Like, like, it's fine. Good. Have fun with that boat. It's great. Okay. Um, and, and, and when we talk about possessions and that, I think the other thing that's clear is you, like, if, you, if you've been blessed financially, it's not like, oh my goodness, like I am horrible. Like, no, God, God can bless you financially. He can promote you. Uh, all of these things can happen. You can be blessed with an incredible house. All these things, your health, all, all of that can happen. But what we have to know is we are in a culture that, that wants to take a desire that in and of itself isn't necessarily bad in some of these circumstances, but then take it and pull it to where now it's competing for your affection. It's now become your why. And we could go across the board. You think of uh, sexuality, you think of, of identity, you think of uh, a love, like, like a love that you desire. I mean, some of us are in this room or watching online and we just wanna be loved. We wanna find someone to love. And, and if that just could happen, my goodness, like life would be so much better. It would be fulfilling and rewarding. I'm gonna tell you right now, if I was the enemy and I heard you saying that, thinking that, guess what I'm doing? I'm bringing someone, anybody to throw you off. But we're consumed with that. Like, like just, I, I think of the pleasures that we wanna have, that we wanna experience. And, and, and listen to the language here. He, he's saying that, that the world is intoxicated off this. Now, you guys, if you're intoxicated, and I'm not going to ask how many people have been intoxicated to raise your hand because this is not a perfect church. Um, but you guys, when you think of someone who is drunk, you don't think of somebody who's in control, do you? In fact, the very characteristic of being drunk is they're out of control to the point where you, as a friend, as a family member, you're like, hey, you're saying some things right now. I don't think you mean. I think you need to stop talking. 
or like you, you need to come with me now, like you're not behaving okay, right? And so we intervene in that situation because we understand and know that when someone is in that state, they are outside of their own control. And what we see here, the danger of this prostitute that we're seeing here is that she has captivated the hearts. She's taken over the lives of not only the kings and the rulers of culture, but the very culture itself to the point where they are drunk off of that lifestyle. They are drunk off of that motivation to where they are no longer loyal, they're no longer enduring, and they are no longer looking towards the return of the bridegroom. And 1 John 2, 16, it explains that this isn't from God. It says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Guys, when you think about these things, and maybe it's money, maybe it's a number, how much is enough? It says this isn't from God. And guys, I think what's so scary to me is I look at like where we live in America. Man, this, this is a description of the American dream. And, and what, I, what I think of here is, man, how careful I have to be if I am, if I am gonna patiently endure, if I'm gonna be faithful to the bridegroom, I have to be on guard because I see how easily these things can pull me away from him and how quickly and easily I could wake up and all of a sudden find out, man, I am part of the problem. I'm, I'm the one that's drunk off of this. Once again, though, we see that John is carried away in the spirit into a desert to see a vision. And he sees, it says, this great prostitute sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and 10 horns. Now, uh, this is very familiar language. If you've been walking through this series with us, this is the beast, the Antichrist from chapter 13. And the woman that we see described uh, is, is, is beautiful, right? She's, she's dressed seductively in those days. She's dressed in purple and scarlet. She's adorned with these precious stones with gold and pearls. And then it says she holds a gold cup. And this gold cup that she's holding is filled with the abominations and the impurities of her prostitution. So what we see is he's using language all the way from Jeremiah. He's he's describing what Jeremiah describes as this golden cup filled with wine that's alluding to a description of Babylon's worldwide influence in idolatry. In fact, Jeremiah uh, 51.7, it says, Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand, making all the earth drunken and nations drank of her wine. Therefore, the nations went mad. So so John knows this language. He knows uh, this imagery and he's using it once again here. And and so we see that literally the idols, the current idols of the day are filled to the brim in her cup. And she is just sharing that with all of humanity who's drinking it to the point of drunkenness, no longer able to see the truth, no longer able to see the gospel, the message of Jesus. Jesus. And then in verse five, we get the identity of who this prostitute is. She has on her forehead written, Babylon the great, the mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. Now, when we see this, this isn't literal Babylon. Uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about this. This is not that, that city that and at this point in time had no real significance 
uh, this, this prostitute is that it's a system. It's a world system. We would call it like the way of the world. It is the world's system of godlessness that leads people away from the worship of the true God. So when we think of the spirit of Babylon, essentially uh, it's, it's a spirit of godlessness. It's promoting everything of the world to where you don't feel like or think about God. You don't think you need God. And, and it's actually destructive towards your relationship with God. And so this is that nature. This is that spirit of Babylon. And, but notice once again how she's dressed. So it's seductive. It looks good. We want that. We want to take part in that. We're going to believe in it. Like we're going to see it. We're going to see it look successful for other people. Uh, we're going to be jealous. And we're going to go, I want that. I need that. But John is, is using this language once again to symbolize what God even called Jerusalem. He called Jerusalem a harlot in Isaiah. Isaiah said that Tyre was a harlot, and we see that same name given by Nahum used in the designation for Nineveh. And so we see that this woman is not only, it says this great prostitute, but she's the mother of uh, prostitutes. And, and, and what we see here is a system that has a world system that has reproduced itself ever since Genesis 10, when Nimrod started it. Never go along with something that a guy named Nimrod starts. Like, I mean, that's low-hanging fruit. That's free. You should totally know that, right? Um, and we think of even the beginning and what's been reproduced, that idolatrous, that idolatrous attempt to defy God with the Tower of Babel. And ever since then, right, we've, we've been repeating that uh, mistake. And so we, we see that, that once again, that is how she's trying to seduce uh, us into that. And then I think the thing that is really sobering for us this morning is look at the focus of the great prostitute. Like throughout history, look who the focus is. It's been the people of God, the followers of Jesus. Because what, what else do we see about this cup that she's holding? This golden cup inside, it says, inside of this cup is the blood of those who have refused her. It's the blood of those who have seen her for what she is, who have exposed her. It's, it's those who have been Jesus' followers. It's those who have tried to walk with God. It's those who have endured persecution, uh, abandonment, all these things uh, while trying to remain true, remain true to the bridegroom. And, and it says she's had way too much to drink from this cup. It says she's intoxicated off the blood of the saints. And you guys, I, man, I paused there and I, as I was prepping, I was just thinking about that imagery as he's seen this and, and, just, and just thinking about how often I come away with a, a message or I'll meet with people and the message they heard when it comes to uh, receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior is your life is gonna get easier. Like, like, like this, this, this is gonna get better for you here. This outcome's gonna happen. And, and, and when I read this, I go, oh my goodness. You say yes to Jesus, you've become a target. Like a target. It's not all things, I mean, and Jesus has never tried to manipulate us. He says, pick up your cross and follow me. If you want to follow me. The cross is an instrument of death. He says, that, that's the invitation here. 
And, and, and so we see that, that literally she is drunk off of the blood of Christians. Man. Because you wonder why, when you're trying to follow Jesus, why these things happen. Why this just won't fix this issue, this relationship, this challenge, maybe this own problem you've been dealing with. And, and you guys, what you need to know is there is an enemy that is actively working against whatever God's trying to do in your life and in your family, like actively against it. And so that's real. But notice once again, she looks appealing. Even John is like, it says he's amazed at what he sees. John is caught up in this appearance and what this looks like. It's almost like he's being carried along in this. And, and, and clearly she's attractive. She seems fun. She seems powerful. But this angel is about to reveal to John, to the seven churches and to us today, that what she may appear to be is not what she really is. And so we keep going in verse uh, seven. It says, but the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and 10 horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. There are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven. And it goes to destruction. And the 10 horns that you saw are 10 kings who have not yet received royal power but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them for he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. So here's the truth about her. And, and, and the first thing you need to see is who's carrying her. Right? Like, who's carrying this agenda, this, uh, this world system? Who's carrying that? Who's promoting that? Who's pushing that on humanity? Satanists. Right? Through the work of the Antichrist. So that is the whole uh, image. And, and, and so we see that this is being promoted. This is being pushed across the globe. Uh, and, and then we see in verse 8, uh, it's alluding to, once again, the beast's best imitation at a death and resurrection. And, and so in some way, the beast, whether person, uh, political party, movement, the beast is going to appear to be dead and come back to life. It's gonna be like resurrected and everyone's gonna be amazed. Uh, the people whose name are not written in the book of life, the people that have not decided to follow Jesus, they're gonna be amazed at this and they're going to want to follow the beast. And we're issued a warning in 1 John 2, 17. It says, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. You guys, one of the things that you can't avoid as you walk through these verses is how every single act that is in opposition to God, it's time-stamped, right? In other words, it's not gonna last. And you can't miss that as you read this. 
every single time it talks about this uprising or evil reproducing and, and rising up, it gives it a certain amount of time. God is saying, I have not vacated the throne. I'm still in control. And whatever, even evil that happens, I am over it and above it. So don't miss that. Okay, so, so these people are gonna be astonished. They're gonna be amazed um, and, and all of this. But what we need to see is this dream, these things that keep capturing our eyes away from God, uh, whatever that may be for you, whatever that motivation may be or whatever that desire may be, you need to know that that's headed for destruction. Right, like, like we, we look at this and we go, oh, the American dream. And I'm like, man, the American dream, it's headed for destruction, right? It's not like, woo, here we go. And it's gonna get better and better and better. And we already see that. We already see that today. But then we, but then we look at verses nine through 12. And, and I love how John says, we're gonna need wisdom. You need wisdom to unravel what Babylon's trying to do. But we see that verses 9 through 12, godly men and women, Bible interpreters, understand these details differently. Uh, but the beast has, it says, seven heads and ten horns, which we've looked at already when we're looking at the beast. And that's keeping consistent uh, with that Old Testament imagery of Psalm chapter 30 and Daniel chapter 2. But we see that these seven heads symbolize seven mountains and also seven kings or kingdoms. Now, most uh, it, during that time would have heard that and, and immediately connected the seven mountains as a reference to Rome in the first century because that city, the city of Rome, was known as the city on seven hills. Okay, so the, many would connect it with that. We also know that seven is that number of completion, right? Of full uh, authority. And so we see that seven heads are also, it says, seven kings says five have fallen, one is, and then the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must remain for a little while. Now, many people have, have tried to uh, make complete sense of that, uh, like seven kings, those must be seven Roman emperors that has not worked out. Uh, others will take a view and approach that this is, that these empires are similar to Daniel chapter two and Daniel chapter uh, seven. Where we, where we read about in Israel's history, five kings or kingdoms that had fallen and passed off the scene. And those five are Egypt, Assyria, uh, Babylon, the Medo-Persia, and then Greece. And then the one who is, they would connect that with Rome. And then the one that has not yet come would be that future kingdom of the Antichrist. But either, either way, how this all plays out, his kingdom uh, is going to draw people and it's going to have uh, characteristics of all of those other kingdoms. It's going to be the fulfillment of those, the brutality, uh, the force, the strength, the power. It's going to have all of those characteristics. And then once again, the number seven, it's, it's, it's communicating this completeness. And, and then we see that the manifest, manifestation of this kingdom, it's only going to remain for a little while. Once again, uh, this is not going to last. The beast as a man and kingdom will embody the wickedness of all of these empires, but just like all of the previous worldly empires, it will have its time and then it will come to an end. It says the beast is said to belong to uh, the seven kings, particularly the seventh, but then he's also the eighth king himself. And some look at this as he's part of the seventh and then it, it appears that he's dead and then he rises up. And so he's also the eighth in this new fuller, uh, you know, um, 
kingdom. Uh, but uh, anyway, those are just some ideas. But what we need to see is his kingdom cannot and will not last. It will be destroyed. But before that happens, verse 12 tells us that the 10 horns that are 10 future kings, they're going to, uh, they're, they're yet to receive their royal authority. And these 10 kings, whoever they are, they're going to then give their power and authority to the beast. They're going to they're gonna see him and they're going to look at him as like the savior. And so they're going to willingly give him uh, their influence, their power, because the Antichrist, once again, he's going to give the appearance of the winning team, right? People on the earth are going to go, oh, there it is. There he is. He's the one. He is the savior. And, and, and what we see is, once again, the world is only going to last a little while here. In fact, it uses the word for one hour, which is conveying the smallest amount of time. In fact, Jesus, as he was being captured, he was like, you have an hour. Your hour has come. Um, and, and so we see that they have a limited amount of time before they are headed to destruction. Why? This is not the winning team. It's headed towards defeat. Verse 14 is like this interjection to remind us of that, right? Uh, it's anticipating the second coming of Jesus that we're going to read about in Revelation 19. It talks about the victory, the, the summary of that final battle where the beast and his kingdom now that, that he has been given, uh, they in this spiritual suicide mission are going to attack the lamb. <laughs> They're going to attack Jesus. The warrior lamb. Now, it, it, it's no contest. It's, it's not like a rivalry. The lamb is going to conquer them. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the King of Kings, a title reserved only for God. There is no God like our God. And then we're told that as he does this victory, which I can't wait to get to in chapter 19, because I've been talking about wrath for like months, it feels like. Um, we're told that he's going to bring with him those who are called chosen faithful. I mean, you want to think about an amazing thing to be a part of? Now, listen, I want to be really clear. It's not like he needs our help. He's never needed our help. He is not up there in need of like Steve to accomplish his work, is he? In fact, the greatest times are when uh, he actually brings us along for what he's already accomplishing. It's when he invites you into that. That's, that's amazing. When we think of people getting baptized at this gathering today, that is, that is not a testimony uh, to Steve or to any of us. That is a testimony to God's work in their life. And what's beautiful is he allows us, he invites us into that process. And that's amazing. And so, and so uh, once again, we see God modeling uh, that. And, and as he defeats uh, essentially the enemy and the world that's in opposition to him. Verse 15, it says, and the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the 10 horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city and has dominion over the kings of the earth. So we see that this, this prostitute, this world system has had massive influence over the entire earth as verse 15 reminds us. But then we, we, we get into this interesting section and we read that Suddenly, it's over. 
It's over. Just like that. And, and here's what, what you need to see in, in the language, the imagery is so powerful. When you think of prostitution and, and, and you think of that, you guys, that, that is not love, is it? That's usury. And you see Satan through the Antichrist uses the world system, uses the prostitute to accomplish his own agenda, his own plan, so he can establish his own religious system so that people will in turn worship him. Now, guys, I, why is this, why is this uh, crazy? It's, it's, it's crazy. Like the beast and these kings, they, they turn on her. And what we see is this scene of evil attacking evil. And, and we see that, that, that literally her wealth, the beautiful clothes, all the allure, all the allure, all the things that we were seduced by, all those things are going to be devoured. They're going to be done with. They're going to be uh, burnt up. And, 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 we, and what Satan is doing here and positioning us for is this massive letdown. And, and this is just crazy to me. So he's pushed this system that, we're all, that, that humanity is going to fall in love with. They're going to they're, they're be seduced by this way of living, this thinking that's going to pull them away from God. And he's promoted it knowing that it's not going to work. Why? Because he's using evil to take us to a greater place. Of There's a greater evil. And ultimately, it's worshiping him, which people are going to be so distraught because all of these things that had seduced them, they're going to see it didn't work. And here we have this antichrist, right? We've got this fake trinity at work trying to uh, manipulate and, and, and get people to believe that that is the savior. And people are going to willingly turn because they finally realized that that life doesn't work. You guys, Satan right now is selling you something he knows won't work. He knows it. But he knows that if he can keep you in this, it's going to take you to an evil that you would never even imagine or comprehend it. Guys, we, we, we say these words sometimes and we just kind of flippantly say them. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Like he's not playing around. Like he ultimately wants to kill me. And that's not something we just go, ah. Like, no. And, 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 and all of these things that he's positioning in your life to destroy you, to destroy what God has to destroy your, destroy your marriage, destroy your family, destroy your kids, destroy all these things that are important to you, destroy your reputation, all those things. He is just literally planting to seduce you away from an incredible God who is the fulfillment of everything you've been looking for. And so this is his ultimate agenda, you guys. He's going to break people to the, point, to the place where he's their best option. And guys, we're so right now blinded because of this idolatry that we've just been drinking. We don't even see it. We're just keeping our head down and grinding. We're just going with it. We're just doing what we're supposed to. We're on the track of success. But guys, what I love here is, is, is still, in spite of all this, God is in complete control. It says all of this has been initiated through God's sovereign plan, and he's going to rid the world of the world. These kings think they're carrying out their own program, but actually they're accomplishing God's providential program. 
It reminds me of Genesis 50, 20, where, where Joseph's brothers who have sold him into slavery are standing before him and they're afraid. They can't believe the authority, the power he has. I mean, he snaps his fingers, they're dead. And, and Joseph's response to them is, is so powerful. And it reminds me of, of, of how God is. It says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You guys, uh, our God is so incredible that the very things right now that the enemy's trying to use for evil in your life, in our culture, in our world, God is actually capable of taking and turning and using for his greatest good. And so for, for some of you that, 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 that sit here and you go, oh my goodness, I, I'm, I'm one of those that's been seduced by this lifestyle, this way of thinking and all that. I'm too far gone. I've been doing this. I've done that. You don't know my story. You don't know my background. You guys, well, then you don't know my God because our God actually specializes in taking the things that the enemy has said, I win, I've got it, they're mine. And God says, you've never had that. They are mine and I can take whatever evil you did in their life and I can actually turn it for good. That's how powerful he is. And, and throughout scripture, he reminds us of that. And we see that this antichrist, he's gonna unite the world's religious, economic and political systems under his uh, control. And these 10 kings, whoever they are, they're gonna give uh, him their kingdom. They're only gonna operate until God's words are accomplished. And lastly, the angel includes the revelation by identifying or concludes the revelation by identifying this woman, simply known as the great city that has an empire of the kings of the earth, what we know as the world system of Babylon. Now, as we, as we close our time together, one of the things that we, we have to be reminded of, it was Paul's great concern for the churches that he founded all throughout the New Testament. It was his great concern that they would be seduced away from their devotion to God. In fact, in, in 2 Corinthians 11, verse one, he says this, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to the one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. He is pleading with them. He's crying out to them, please do not be seduced by all of these things that are gonna enter into your life. Because you guys, so often we're trying to identify the big evil and we lose sight of all of the other evils that are already at play in our lives, right? It's like, it's like we think once again, Satan's just gonna announce this grand evil identity and we're gonna go, ha ha, I knew it. No, in fact, we read in 1 John, uh, yeah, the Antichrist is coming, but there's already all of these Antichrists that are here and that are continuing to come, right? So what do we, what do we know? We know that we are, on, we are gonna be assaulted for our belief in Jesus, and we are going to be uh, led astray. We are gonna be tempted in every way to steal from our faithfulness to an incredible, loving Savior, the bridegroom. Uh, C.J. Mahaney, he, he said, today the greatest challenge facing evangelical, Bible-believing American Christians is not persecution from the world, but seduction by the world. 
And so you guys, we got to ask this question today. And it's uncomfortable. What is your source of motivation? What is motivating you? Where is that, what's that source of authority for the motivations that you have right now in your life? Where, where do your priorities come from? Who's defined those for you? You think of the priorities right now in your life, what dominates your mind and your heart, where do those come from? Uh, you can go down the line, your purchases. Where are your purchases? Like, like who defines the priority of a purchase in your life, right? Of, of a financial exchange, right? Where, where I'm giving, and some of us, we're giving, we're, we're, we're buying for things we, don't even, we can't even afford, but where is that coming from in us? I, think of the activities that, that, that we do, that we're consumed with. Where, where is that coming from? Because ultimately all of that is taking away something that you'll never get back, which is time. And so we have to ask, what has the source of authority on how we spend this precious gift called time? And that's what I want us to just consider as a church. As people that are here that are broken in need of a savior, amen? I'm gonna pray for us and then we're just gonna respond and have this time to respond. And for some of us, we're gonna respond through baptism. Some we're gonna worship and just sing communion. We're gonna give and maybe it's prayer. But right now, let's just ask God to work.